So I'm the laid back fun one. Not that you're not fun. No, I'm not fun. He I'm keeps intense. us on track. <laughs> That's how it is. He's intense. He's got an outline. That's a, no, it's not my outline. It's That's the administrative. It's the administrative part of you. <laughs> it's his outline. <laughs> I'm just falling to it. Welcome to Flighty Thoughts, meaningful conversation over a flight of beer. I'm your host, David. Hey, I'm Bevel. The IPA here at Wiseacre is good. Excellent. I just the smell of it's great. Yeah. I haven't tried it yet. So we are here at Wiseacre in Memphis. It's a brewery, and we are lucky enough to have Mr. Judd Smith as our guest. Judd, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are y'all? Excellent. So this is a little known fact. Judd goes back with me for years and years, but more so with my wife as they were best friends in high school. And before we get into the beers, I want to, I want to spring this on Judd. It's a prom picture, which will be on the website later on. Did you get a kiss that night, Judd? I did not. That was a uh, we're friends going to prom together, not nice. uh, not like a... Which is the only movie. reason why this picture is here, because I'm a little bit <laughs> pri- proprietary towards that. But anyway, uh, my wife brought that home the other day, and I thought, oh, I've got to show this picture. This is going to be good. And it, it garnered the reaction that I wanted. You know, it's always great. You, you can't see it, but my face is red. It's always great when a husband shows you a picture of you and his wife hugging in a prom and it's cool photo, with in a prom it, dress and, and it's cool with it not yeah. absolutely and and i'll have to say one of the reasons i'm excited about sitting down here with you is i mean we have a relationship that we've we've um cultivated over the years but like hearing my wife talk about you and just the kind of stand-up guy you are is another reason why i'm excited to sit down with you and just listen to what you have to say and he got a guy crush on you i think <laughs> it's a total total dude crush it goes both ways <laughs> thank you so the beers that we have today, again, we're at Wiseacre here in Memphis. Um, we have three of the beers, and thank you to Wiseacre for setting us up and, and comp- comping our beers. But uh, what I have is the Xanadu, which is the Hoppy IPA. I haven't tried it yet, but Bevel's a fan. Yeah. And then I have the QWERTY, which is an alt beer. And I Judd, also have that one. You have that I one? I finished good? it already. Good. Judd, give us a, 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 an alt beer. Tell us what that is. Uh, alt beer is a, it's an old German style of beer. It kind of... Uh, has a brown tint to it. It's not as bitter as like a Newcastle or anything like that, but mm-hmm. uh, it does uh, actually mean old in German. So alt. That's how I remember it. Alt old. And then on your recommendation, Bevel, I have the Beach Within Reach, which is you said it's a sour, but it's more of a Berliner Weiss. No, so they don't have the one that uh, that they had before. Oh, okay. But that but, one's still okay, right? But it's it, we're, we're oh yeah, it's very good. We're here with the the Berliner Weiss, which you have another trouble with the W's and the V's as from the, the Dunkel Weiss. Yeah. So that's good to hear. I forget what it was called, but they had a sour that was cherry that I got at the end of January. One kudos for them even trying cherry. I mean, it, 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 it's like any one of those things. Like, we, we just came from Ghost River not too long ago, and they have a rosemary beer, mm. which that, like anything, it could go really well or really poorly. And so, one, kudos to Wiseacre for trying a cherry sour, but they nailed it. Like, it was good. I don't know if you've tried it or not. I haven't gotten to try it yet. Some of the stuff they release is uh, kind of taproom only. Yeah. And as a, as a dad of two dudes under three years old, it gets very <laughs> difficult to make it to the taproom. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm with you. Sometimes cherry-flavored stuff gets a little medicinal, so it's kind of right. a roll of the dice, whether it's beer or it's whiskey or liquor, liqueurs or anything like that. Yeah. What beers do you have? And, and we're going to get to the fact that Judd knows all this stuff in just a second because he is He's more knowledgeable than us. foremost authority in my life. Well, I have two of the ones you have, uh, Xanadu, the IPA, and then QWERTY, the Alt Belgian. And then 
Um, so my first introduction to Wiseacre was trying their Up to Get Down. Or Gotta Get Up to gotta Get Down. Get up to I get just called Up to Get Down. Gotta Gotta Get Up to Get What? What? Um, so there are a lot in that space, in that category of coffee beers. Some of them tend more towards the mocha. Others to the like black coffee flavor. And Wiseacre really gets that black coffee flavor. I've not tried their cold brew that's not a beer, but before I leave today, I'm going to try it out. It's just, it's so good. It, it's sort of like, I mean, when you think of brews and what they should taste like, and especially when they're paired with certain things, it's just what you expect. And it not only hits that note, but it's really good. It surprises you. How yeah, good I mean, it is. they got to get up to the gotta get up to get down was the first wiseacre beer that i was introduced to as a transplant i actually had it on a trip to memphis before we moved here but um you don't often see breweries doing a coffee milk stout as one of their flagship beers uh let alone doing it well because it's a controversial beer right like i i'm gonna walk in i'm not gonna try a coffee milk stout it's just not my wheelhouse (laughs) you're an ipa guy well if you got an ipa and you got a pilsner and you got a coffee milk stout and it's 100 degrees outside because we live in the south (laughs) Like, I mean, are you going to be drinking? I mean, there's some there's some bros out there that, like, hammer on. They don't care. I'm that weird bro. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I like a meal replacement every now and again, but I don't know <laughs> if it's going to be in a coffee and milk style. It's also weird when it's also weird to say, but it's it's kind of contradictory, but to have a milk stout, a coffee milk stout, it's kind of a great breakfast beer, yeah. which kind of lends itself into, yes. like, a weird category because people are like, some people hear you say, breakfast beer? That seems a little excessive. <laughs> I used to refer to light beers during the summers as great shower beers. Oh. And people would look at me really weird. Because like, I used to sell like beer and wine <laughs> and spirits like in the retail aspect as well as in the restaurants. And they'd be like, shower beer? Like, yeah, just a light beer you can drink in the shower. They're, and they like, you drink beer in the shower? And I would be like, you don't? Why not? Yeah, absolutely. Have, have you ever done this, Bevel? Have you ever had a beer in the shower? I've not, but I will. I will tell you, it, there's something transcendent about a nice hot shower and a cold beer and for me it, it started like after soccer games and yeah. the end of the day I would go and I would take a shower and then I would have a beer and it's very good and then it it became a treat to myself like some people like spas or pedicures I, I like a good beer in the shower it's definitely a celestial experience excellent well you have the endorphins being released you know so it makes sense and it takes time I mean you position it the right way. And, oh, it's good. At least that's my justification. When I get out of the shower, my wife sees an empty beer bottle in my <laughs> hand, and it's kind of... Sweetie, it's 5 o'clock somewhere, <laughs> and right now it's here, okay? And I'm clean. I smell good. You know, it's, it's all a means to the end. Let me brush my teeth, and we'll right. be fine. <laughs> so one of the great reasons I want to talk to you, and we're here to have you in here, is because of your just vast experience in life, vast experience with when it comes to... Um, all things spirits and wines and, and just some of the impressive insights that you can bring to that, right? So now I thought you were, you, tell me about your, you have a, a, what is it, a certification. Tell me about that. Yeah, so uh, I have a, the WSET, um, I'm WSET level two, uh, which is, a, it's, it stands for Wine and Spirits Educational Trust. It's a, it's a European or British um, group that does like training in spirits and wine about production and varietal specificity and like like the specific geological climate or geographical climates that produce certain things in certain ways like the reason like French Pinot Noir tastes different than California Pinot Noir or why California is different than Oregon 
uh, just things like that. Kind of just it gives you a, a deeper a deeper base of knowledge to be able to talk about things. Normally, your writers that are writing about spirits, wine, and booze are are W set. It goes up to level four. Uh, whereas like a sommelier will be someone who's you see in a restaurant wearing a suit selling you wine. Uh, it's more service driven as far as sommeliers go. Mm. And I guess you could look at W set as more academic. Mm. They're both academic in their own rights. Oh, yeah. It's a lot of study. It, it's, it's no easy feat. The, the higher you get, the harder it gets. Like you can take a class and become a first level SOM or W set level one in an afternoon. But to, to be like a advanced SOM, like a level three, that's years of study mm. and practice and service. And at a certain point, you have to be invited to take the test. You can't just be like, I want to take the test. Like they have to say, they have, you have to apply to take the test. So That's pretty impressive. I'm learning so much. Right I know, now. I'm saying that. And so, everybody thinks you just drink booze and, and get drunk go. and that's it. And But there's like a science You watch the movie it. sideways and you're good to go, you know? Uh, yeah. So what did you have to do? What was your process for the level two certification? Uh, I work for a company in Memphis that's a uh, wine and spirits and beer uh, uh, distribution company. We sell to restaurants and retail. Um, and they were advocating for education and more continuing education with our with our people that that sell and uh, so they put us on it and they encouraged us to do it and did uh, they pay for it yes yeah. so they required everybody to get a level one which mm-hmm. is someone comes in and does like a like a kind of like an overview class they go through tastings and how pairings work and how flavors and how the flavor receptors in your tongue work and where you taste bitterness and sweetness and all that stuff and then you take a test well the level two is you have to do some independent study and then they test you Um, but it's a lot about food pairings and how like high acid wines go with this and how salty things go with this and how this doesn't go with this and so it's a so a scale of one to ten Bud Light Bud Light (laughs) Uh, what scale we're grading it on I, I'm joking. Completely enjoyable and refreshing. My wife says I'm pretentious. Ten. Like, I ten. went to go pick up my daughters from a sleepover, and all the dads were drinking Bud Light, and I was like, oh, my gosh. You know, man, I, that's something that – because I worked in a I work in an industry that has, a, a like, a bougie-ness attached to it. Like, mm-hmm. like you can't – like, you can't enjoy wine and not put your pinky up and be fancy. It's not true. You know, same thing with, with whiskey or vodka, if that's your gig, or beer. You know, my thing is that there's a place on a table, somebody's table for everything. You just got to figure out where it is. Mm. And if you're a Moscato, that's the big, Moscato is the thing that most wine drinkers are like, ugh, they want Moscato. Mm. And I'm saying, you know what? They've been making Moscato in Italy for a long time. And there's a need for it. There's like, a people like it. it. Yeah. Well, and I will say one of the things that you opened my eyes to that I never would have tried uh, because I was... I, Getting my snobbiness on it was a, ro- ro- a rosé, right? Oh, yeah. So you're a fan of the rosé. Love rosé. And and I would always be like, oh, rosé, I'm not going to try that. But, I mean, you brought some nuance to it and some and some understanding behind it. Yeah, rosé is a big misconception. Like, uh, everybody thinks it's pink and sweet, like, because white Zinfandel. But rosé has been around for a very long time. Yeah. It's a high-acid wine that's dry. It has a little bit of skin contact with the grapes, which gives it that pink hue. Uh, gives it a little bit of a dryness with tannin, but it's uh, typically got a lot of strawberry flavor to it or cherry. Sometimes it has a little bit of a lime zest to it. 
Mm. Uh, but it's it's a drier style. Um, but you know, I, I never had a problem drinking rosé or having a pink wine in my glass in a restaurant. So it's uh, some people are kind of antsy about it. There's a man who is secure in his manliness and his <laughs> drinkability right there. Uh, I, yeah, and same thing. Like with uh, like I was I married, and you know you have to buy sometimes as a man you have to go and buy some feminine products yeah, for your you wife. <laughs> uh, I've never been bashful about. <laughs> Like almost like holding the box above my head, walking through the grocery store with it. One time I had a guy that literally walked up to me because I was looking to make sure I get the right brand. I don't use them, so I just look for the thing that I'm told to get. And I'm looking for the right one, and this guy walks up behind me and goes, Good luck, brother. <laughs> like, All right, man. Well, and I think it really speaks to who you are as a person and who we kind of strive to be. Like when you can get past that whole superficial looking of what it is like who cares what it looks like you know it's it's paired with this it tastes with this or you know you're doing this for your wife and so you can you can see past whatever people want you to see and to be what it is you're justified in that it seems like it's a certain level of respect too like you're mentioning all these different breers where on the outside it could look like oh it's just trending right now right but champagne for example i personally don't like champagne but I can respect champagne for the process with which it came about and that it has had a long standing. Yeah. Well, champagne is one of those things that's like widely misconstrued because uh, everybody thinks all sparkling wine is champagne. But champagne only comes from the town of Champagne in France, and they can only use three grapes. Yeah. It's uh, Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, and Pinot Meunier. Pinot Noir, Chardonnay? Pinot Noir, Wait, Noir. Chardonnay, and uh, Pinot Meunier. So why is it that a, what we would associate with a darker grape, like the Pinot Noir, comes up in a champagne, which is what we associate with a lighter? Well, color? all grapes, there's, there's probably there's a small amount of grapes that in the world that actually bleed red when you crush them. So like your red grapes, so like think about your Cabernet or your Merlot. This, Merlot is a red wine that most people know. Uh, it's easy to pronounce. It's safe, so they can order it and feel good in a, in a restaurant or whatever. I'm cultured. But, right. <laughs> but if you took a Merlot grape off a vine and crushed it, that juice that's coming out is clear. Mm. Where it gets that deep color is the skin of the grape. So there's a red grape and a white grape. Chardonnay is a white grape. Pinot Noir is a red grape, uh, just like Cabernet is. But like when you crush them, they bleed white. So to get that deep color, it's a longer saturation. It's like a tea bag effect. You know, you're, you're soaking that wine and juice with the skins, which also gives it dryness, gives it structure, gives it uh, more levels of fruitiness as well as earthiness. So it gives it complexity. Well, you also get the tannins from the skin as well. Mm -hmm. And can you yeah. tell me what the tannin effect on wine is? Tannin is the, so if you want to know what tannin is, take a banana, that little, black piece of root attached to the base of the banana when you pull it out you know you bite it accidentally it's super bitter that's tannin mm. if you crack a walnut open and i know we've all been from the south or had a pecan or a walnut or something yeah. and didn't mm. clean all the yes. stuff out and you bite it and all of a sudden so bitter. all the moisture just soaks out of your mouth all of a sudden that's tannin that is that is uh, that's 300 percent tannin so what tannin does is it does apply a more dryness uh, bitterness seems like a bad word but it's not it's it's a balance of sweetness so in, in my experience is it coats the Rhone is a pretty dry wine. right and that so you is it 
safe to say that there's more tannin in the the processing of that or what? Uh, There's more tannin in red wines than there are in white wines, typically. Uh, There's always the exception to a rule there somewhere, but like I say that because tannin comes from the skins and the stems and you get more stem soaking and skin soaking in red wines, so it's more present there. You'll have cleaner, fresher white wines mm-hmm. and deeper, drier red wines. The funny thing about you saying dry red wine is someone would always say, I want a dry red wine. And they're like, okay, 98% <laughs> of the red wines in the world are dry. Mm. Can I get a little more info? Because Interesting. in the, in the, like on this Can side. Can I get some of, wet water? Some wet, yeah. <laughs> Can I get some? That's what it sounds like, right? Can I get some juicy apple juice? <laughs> but no, it's the dryness is a scale of sweetness in this in this world, like especially in champagne. Like you see brute, that means something. It's a level of sugar that was added to to the to the wine. It's like extra dry or sec or you know demi sec or something like that. So. Are you are you following the irony of the fact that the, we are a flighty thoughts podcast and talking we're like mostly about wine, deeply into the wine? But I'm I'm digging it, right? Because yeah. we're not we, we can talk about beer too. Well, I mean. there's yeah, so much no. that beer, and I'm even thinking about bourbon. So I love beer, we and I love bourbon. bourbon as well. We can talk tequila too. And I to. recently tried Redemption. Uh, is it called Redemption? Yeah, there's a Redemption uh, rye whiskey, and yeah, they, and I they're think trying they to go back to the old school style of bourbon, where the percentages of corn are higher. Um, and so I think all these share um, all about the process. Like there are different things in the process of brewing beer that will make things taste differently, just like in yeah. wine, just like in, in bourbons as well. So a question I have, because I'm cu- like very ignorant in wine. Are there certain blends that um, the level of ripeness matters in terms of when you pick the grape and when you start... Oh yeah, you 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 always want the the winemaker or vintner will always pick the grapes whenever they're ripe and ready, uh, and you can all that always translates. Uh, we always have a had a phrase in the restaurant business that I was in for ten years before this was is garbage in, garbage out. You can't, you know, pardon the phrase, you can't church up something just because you have a crap ingredient and then you try to make it better, but like. The grapes have to be picked at the right time. They have to have had a healthy season. You know, uh, they measure what's called bricks. It's B-R-I-X. It's uh, sugar levels in the in the grapes before they actually crush them. They have a way to do that before they pick them. So ripeness is that, like being ripeness. It, it, when you really get down to it, wine is an agricultural thing because it comes from grapes, and grapes is a grapes are a farmed product, and it's something that. A lot of people will think of winemakers or people in this industry as like suit and tie guys. And yes, I wear a suit and a tie. I even have a tie clip. I have multiple tie clips now <laughs> that I wear every day. But the guys that make these wines and make your beers and make your bourbons, they have Carhartt dirt. overalls. <laughs> they have overalls on. They have yeah. dirt under their nails. Not while they're like got their hands in your juice, but like they're they're in the vineyards. They're checking the products. You know, they're checking the soils. They're checking, like, the grapes are testing them. And they're they farmers. They their stuff. They're, they're farmers not just first. dressed up Why? as pretty people selling alcohol, right? Why don't we demand the same amount of quality control from the meat that we eat as we do from the wine that we drink? From the meat we eat? Well, I mean, you do have a lot of people doing that now. I mean, it's it's been become insanely popular. Farm to table. Farm to table. And that means 
some, some people that means more expensive. Right. But so what it should mean is coming from one of the bigger farm-to-table restaurants in Shreveport that I was at at Wine Country Bistro um, is that you're working with someone locally who's you can tell exactly where it came from. They can tell you where the cow or pig grazed, where the chicken was raised, what diet it had, what regimen of medicines it had, or if there was any diseases or anything like that, or which they wouldn't serve that if there were diseases. But you know, you're, you're looking at things that are controllable and regional, and you have farmers that are that are paying close attention to that. So, demanding a higher like having a higher standard for where your food comes from does come with a higher price point. Absolutely. You can go to McDonald's right now and get two cheeseburgers that wherever they came from came from for $2. How many cows they came from? Was that? How many different cows they came from? Or yeah, I mean, where they came from? Yeah. Let's uh, not bring up hot dogs. <laughs> hey, you know what? We're, some things we're just not uh, agree to not look at. Right. Just, Ignorance <laughs> is bliss. Yes, you know? exactly. So, uh, I don't know if there's an answer to this, but I'd imagine some years might not be as good as other years, depending on absolutely, you know, the weather, depending on uh, just certain circumstances that come up with who. I mean, because obviously you're, you know, running a vineyard. Have there ever been in the history of winemaking uh, certain things that have happened in history that have caused? maybe there to be a bad year or has affected the ground perhaps for a certain amount of years like you mean like natural or like a man-made cause or something like right. that what I, I would like to know if like because yes to that man-made causes because so a fire in an area will add more nitrogen to the soil which can change how the wire the the the, the wine is right so it changes the soil composition so it changes the nutrients that the the grapes are getting because they're plants on a base level they're absolutely they're plants yeah and but yes to answer your question yes it happens all the time sometimes there are like just climate things that are out of our control like there like it was a hot year it was a dry year or it was an overly wet year um 2011 in napa valley uh you always hear people say oh it was a good year that was a good year when they're talking about wine or whatever and nobody really i mean collectors and people on my side of the industry know what that means but uh 2011 was not a great year for napa so a lot, of their, a lot of the juice that came from it was very green because it was underripe. And green meaning like a vegetal, like bell peppery, yeah. like kind of off-putting flavor. Something that you come to understand from Napa is that it's juicy, it's big, it's rich. Like speaking about Cabernet. But 2009 and 2013 were benchmark years where they were great years. Like the stars aligned and basically the winemakers just picked grapes fermented them put them in a barrel and left them for a little while they didn't have to do much else hmm. but then you have years where they have to work hmm. so it's kind of like it's balances you want consistency but you also want enough inconsistency to reflect year-to-year differences you know if you have the some people want the same exact wine every year and there's some wines out there that'll give you that but like if you look at like france specifically like year to year some of those wines are not great some of them are phenomenal but it's it, it has to do with the year and they're like yeah this was the year hmm. they may not release it immediately they may hold on to it in barrel to try to cope with it a little bit but at the end of the day the year was the year and you can't mess with that without kind of devaluing the the, the product 
This is a hard question for you, but with everything that's going on in the world and, and the climate and everything, what do you see as the future for wines? Is there a trend that you are, have seen and can see in the future or what? Um, I'm not the foremost expert on a lot of that stuff. I just kind of geeky about some things. Um, Which is why we appreciate your conversation, <laughs> right? Yeah. By the way, all the stuff I've talked about right now, I just made up just now. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I've seen, uh, I, I've, I've, I work with a lot of a lot of wineries in our portfolio, and we have suppliers, and we talk regularly. They come in the market, we ride, and we talk about, we ride around and see other accounts and show wines, and we talk about just industry trends because that's the business we're in and what you're seeing from a lot of winemakers is that harvest is happening sooner because it's getting warmer you know um specifically in california does that pave the way for multiple harvest in one year uh i don't think that you'll really have more than one harvest because uh usually so when you see a wine and there's like a year on it Mm -hmm. that correlates with the year that the grapes are picked that's yeah, because the, the nutrients would be used up from the soil already for the main crop, wouldn't it be? It's yeah. biblical. I don't know if you can cycle cycle harvest, I guess is what it would basically be, but uh, I honestly don't know that they do. Harvest is typically associated with the season, like like all, like all you know, like more agricultural items. So that's where I kind of think that they would have one and, because leaving it on, when the grapes are ripe and ready, they're ready. You can't... Um, can't cycle through it what what about ice ice wine tell me about that ice wine yeah uh ice wine is um something that you can get from germany Uh, it comes from like colder regions like germany where the weather gets like cold enough that the grapes freeze on the vine you do also have some people like in california or in other regions that produce ice wine but they'll do like a synthetic freezing after Uh, it's been picked uh, what it does is it concentrates sugars a little bit more, makes the wine a little bit more robust. Mm. So you usually have a higher sugar content to that. I feel like it's more viscous too. It is. Yeah. It's, it's almost like a syrupy, but like not like a maple syrup, but like kind of like the the pancake syrup sometimes. But like they're not all that thick. Great with a cheesecake after dinner. I'm just gonna say, it can, yeah, it can rival a port. So my wife likes Boda boxes. I love Boda Box. I um, sell Boda Box. Oh, okay. One of the things I've noticed, not just with Boda Box, but um, what is the point of blending? Ooh, that's a good question. Blending? Yeah. So in whiskey as well as wine, um, whiskey they take barrels. So unless you see single barrel, it comes from one barrel. And that's why it's numbered on the bottle. Um uh, one barrel will yield you X amount of um, X amount of bottles or X amount of cases, but what they'll do is they'll take a water source, which is why you see a lot of things in Kentucky, a lot of bourbons coming from Kentucky, because the water source there is limestone, and it's really great to help with that. So what it does is that waters down the proof to where it's not like, because when it comes out of the barrel, it's like 130 proof. It's almost like gasoline. Yeah. And they they bring it down to like 80 proof or 90 proof or whatever. But as far as like blending those barrels in, in, in wine and red blends is you're taking the best aspects of those things and you're like marrying strengths. Mm. So you want to bring this all full circle. Uh, I'm sure that your wife and your wife do some things better than you and you do some things actually we we, none of us do things better than our wives i should just scrap that all completely (laughs) our wives compliment us right but like with uh with wines you're taking certain 
characteristics of each grape because each grape although they may look kind of like foreign names like Cabernet Sauvignon or Merlot or Zinfandel you may not know what that means but they each have different properties that they're bringing to the table and with that blend you're accentuating those properties so you may have 50% Cabernet because you want it to have structure you want it to have fruit but you also want it to have dryness you bring in some Zinfandel because you want it to be juicy and fruity mm. with a little bit more of that blueberry flavor. And then you add Merlot because you want to have a little bit of an earthiness and you want to have a little bit more acidity. So all that stuff kind of plays into that. Same thing with like blending barrels of whiskey or like blended scotches, like Johnny Walker's blended scotch. They blend for consistency and you'll be hard pressed to find any Johnny Walker red or like 12 year black with bottle variation because they're blending to make sure that they have that consistent product and controlling the flavor profile. So I have an aside story here. That's amazing. When I lived in Kentucky, I went to uh, a tasting at Heaven Hill. They're, they're not really known as a... Uh, Heaven Hill's a big player in the bourbon Are game. they? I mean, yeah. I guess they are. I guess there are trends, but anyway, um, <laughs> the guy was giving us the spiel of the four steps of drinking bourbon the one of which i love is is the finish where you're breathing in and out of your mouth so that you really get that 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 was it the kentucky it's the, the kentucky well. chew is what it is i think they call it oh, kentucky it's chew. after it's after you tasted the bourbon it's that yeah yeah that that you so, do is that's what funny, they call it funny story with that too I uh, <clears throat> I don't know if you ever heard of walk to Emmaus. it's like this christian weekend that you go and you experience god's love or whatever and uh, I'd been through something like that, or, or whatever. whatever. I'm about to say, about to experience whatever. God's love, or whatever. I, I, it's kind I, of the point. I've been through that in college. It was called chrysalis, and so it was this funny thing where they wanted me to go through it before I could lead Emmaus. And um, long story short, one of my church members, um, they they one of the secrets, I guess. I don't know, learning secrets here, almost like we're Freemasons or something. Um, they write. They write. They get people to write letters to you, to encourage you, to right. let you know, like I'm glad you're taking the step and, and growing closer to Christ, whatever. And this one or church whatever. member, or whatever, or whatever, yeah, I keep saying that. This one church member, I taught him about how to properly drink whiskey, and so in these letters, it's like people are, That's are discipleship. Yeah. I know, right? People are sitting all around me and they're crying, you know, heartfelt stuff. And I've been through this already. I knew what to expect. So the letter I value the most is. My, my friend Chris writing this of like I never thought my pastor would teach me how to properly drink bourbon and I just laughed out loud and I, I keep that letter I just think it's great anyway I was amazed in the information that they were sharing that it seems like distillers know which barrels depending on their location how much sun they get and all that stuff which ones will be good and just the profile of different bourbons so I don't know if it's more in the barreling or more in sort of the agriculture of where these grapes are growing, what kind of nutrients they're getting, how much sunlight they're getting, how much water they're getting. I mean, are there um, people that uh, are, are growing the grapes that have that level of knowledge? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You have a lot of like, there's a lot of stuff in California that, that they're just farmers. You know, they just grow grapes and they've just been doing it for multi-generations. There's a family out of California that puts out some consistently really great wine, and they got there because you have these big-name brands that were buying their grapes to make their wines, and they're like, why are, why are these guys charging $80 for a bottle of wine with our grapes? 
So we're going to start making our own wine. Yeah. So they get a winemaker and there's like, I'll tell you this, nothing in the spirit or that sounds really spirit world or wine world uh, <laughs> happens. You're in a safe place. It's yeah. okay. Let's just Is that on. a Holy Spirit or a secular <laughs> spirit? Yeah. Or whatever. Or, or whatever. There you go. It's or whatever. Uh, but it, nothing happens by accident. Yeah. I mean, yes, they experiment. And you have those um, things that happen because of your experimentation, which I guess you could call an accident. But, like, these guys are very calculated. These guys and women. There's a lot of really incredible women out there making mm. some incredible wines and whiskeys. Memphis actually has a uh, female distillery at Old Dominic, who I believe, if my facts aren't wrong, is one of the first female distillers in a very long time with Old Dominic. Her name is Alex Castle. Excellent. but uh, yeah, so making all these things is not an accident. They experiment, like just like a chef experiments in a kitchen, or like you know, it's 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 it it goes hand in hand. Yeah. So I'm gonna change this in directions here. Like this has been a fascinating conversation about the intricacies of brewing, where it comes to beer or wine or bourbon or anything. But I want to ask you something completely different, Judd. What brings you joy? brings me joy you know what's really funny is I um when we were texting I I told my wife like David asked me to think about what brings me joy and I was like I don't know I, I like literally there's a few little things that I do personally like read and play stupid video games but that's not joy and I was talking to her and we kind of talked through it and I was like always empathized with my wife is because when she became a mom she kind of lost her identity as a person and became mom right became mom and wife Mm. and I was telling and she's and that's something that I think a lot of women in moms go through especially when we're in the young age like under three two kids under three it's like you're you're just a a, a Dutch girl with your fingers and holes in the dam just trying to keep everything together Uh, but like, and I was thinking about it and I was like, through that, I realized that I had become dad and kind of lost a little bit of myself, not, not in a bad way at all, because I would not trade it for anything. So my family, I know that's such a cliche thing to say, but my family really, truly brings me joy. Like watching my son learn to process and learn to talk and start to have conversations and watching my eight-month-old now be able to sit up on his own and clap. I mean, like, something that, like, you don't think about. But, like, he can cue, you can cue him to clap, and he'll <laughs> clap back at you and laugh. So, honestly, like, being a father is something that brings me an enormous amount of joy. And it's, it's kind of pulled my attention away from other things that I thought were things that brought me joy which they still do to a certain extent but like you you can't compete it's it's almost like why even try because you can't compete with that so so I've gone uh, through counseling before and one of the things that is amazing to think about is that there are so many parts of us that make our identity some of it is you know I don't know, things that we've grown up with, things that had meaning to us. Some of it's things that have meaning to us now, like being a parent. And as you were talking about um, your wife and yourself sort of losing your identity for the sake of your kids and raising them, 
it's interesting to think I'm not at this point yet but people where the kids are out of the nest or out of the home it's almost like the, it's, it becomes difficult because it's like who are we you know and hopefully yeah. my wife and I will realize like we we care a lot for our kids we do a lot for them I'm taking my daughters to daddy daughter dance tomorrow at the, at the uh, elementary school I'm excited about it <clears throat> But there's so many parts that make us who we are. So, like, we just, I mean, we had a long conversation about uh, spirits and wine and beer. Right. And that was great. But that's just, it's amazing. That's just a part of who we are. There's so much more that makes us who we are. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's building blocks to what is the whole picture of us. Yeah. Like, I, you're, you're talking about the daddy-daughter dance and, like, the real like just real unadulterated joy that came from me i took my son who's three years old my wife and i did took him to daniel tiger live yes <laughs> and they came to memphis and that was his christmas present we got them we got the vip meet and greet man it was it was killer it was great yeah uh they also served bourbon there so it was even better oh that's a win-win but, um, but uh so like watching him see that like see something that he watches every day mm-hmm. sorry I'm, I'm we're not our screen time is is off the charts but <laughs> he watches daniel tiger almost every day and like watching him see that happen and just see like the smile and the eyes wide open and just like this pure happiness in him mm-hmm. was something that like i literally almost like started crying watching and it wasn't because of daniel tiger by any means because sometimes i'm like dude i really have to watch that. i hear this song I'm one like, more time I like, like have you. you ever have you ever like bartered with your child to watch frozen <laughs> like or to watch moana have you been like can we just can we just watch moana i have Let's actually take a small woken break up so that we appreciate yeah. daniel tiger right yeah. <laughs> I've woken up singing Moana songs. I, I will. I will say that they've been stuck in my mind. I drive. I drive Dang. in a car. I drive in a car for a living, like going to account to account. Uh, and sometimes I like I listen to podcasts. Sometimes I listen to the books on like ebooks or whatever. And then sometimes I'll just listen to Spotify. And sometimes I literally find myself throwing on the Moana soundtrack. And singing every word in my car. It's a good soundtrack. It's a good movie. I'm. I'm not gonna lie. I've got buddies um, that we, we meet weekly um, to just talk about life and stuff. And one of the things, I, I started singing one of the Frozen songs, and one of my other friends joked, he's like, come on, Disney, why would you make this song hard for dads to sing? It's like, <laughs> one, dads probably shouldn't be singing this, but they're so catchy. So Sophia, our oldest daughter, one time, uh, she learned this from Daniel Tiger, and so like I was stressed out about something or being patient. She just comes up and ca- casually just nicely says daddy you know what might help from daniel tiger if you take a deep breath and count to four i was like man yeah. my heart is warm right now yeah, we've used that in our in our house as well <laughs> we we've tried that that we're not at the being able to process that quite yet but um we're potty training right now and and the if you have to go potty stop, stop and, and go, go right, right away, away. Yeah, <laughs> flush and wash and be on your way is like literally something that my son says like constantly. I think so. there was something like that we were frustrated about. It's like my wife and I were constantly, you could tell your kids how to do something. But Daniel Tiger comes along with this song and magically, oh, Daniel Everybody Tiger, they'll listen to, to this, but not us, you know. <laughs> yeah. I love the diversity of our conversation from yeah. like... Daniel Tiger from agriculture to farming to wine to whiskey to Daniel Tiger 
Let's so I have one more question, if it's okay. One more question, because I don't know if this factors in or not. You know, we mentioned earlier stuff about um, things that are trending. Um, and there certainly are folks that maybe they like drinking a certain sort of wine or certain sort of whatever. And there are people that aren't as knowledgeable as you or, or Assam might be. And so how... Like, how much do you think maybe perception influences uh, maybe either sales or popularity of certain blends or certain wines and things like that? It's a good question. Uh, I mean, perception is is pretty much everything, um, especially in a especially when you're dealing with people that don't really have an interest per se. Like everything I told you about wine and whiskey, like there are like out of if I line ten people up nine of them wouldn't care at all about what I was saying. They would taste and be like, it tastes good or it tastes bad. I don't like it. I like it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like marketing is a lot. Mm. Uh, everybody knows the brand Stella Rosa because you see it on billboards, you see it on trucks everywhere. Yeah. And if I said something about a Moscato, you'd probably say Stella Rosa. Or like Kendall Jackson. It's the most popular Chardonnay in the country. Mm. Multi-years running. And buttery. And buttery, exactly. But, like, when people think of Chardonnay, that's kind of one of the first things they go to. So marketing definitely helps a lot. But then you have some places that, like, focus specifically on their menu, what works well with it. Um, And really and truly, in in that scenario, education, you don't need to go through the depths that we went to about it. But understanding what it tastes like, how it's going to work with the food on the menu, that's the most important thing that someone can know about what they're about what they're drinking or about what they're going to eat so you don't have to have a certification or knowledge to enjoy anything uh just don't be uh don't be scared to try new things that's that's the big thing there are a lot of folks out there that just love boone's farm or two buck chuck (laughs) yeah three buck chuck now i have to to tell you though like a lot of what I kind of base myself on is the experiences of breaking bread together and, mm. and sharing that meal. And I think that a particular wine paired with the correct meal can add to that and it adds to the story of our lives and it adds to the conversations that we have, whether they're meaningful conversations or flighty thoughts. I think it all kind of works together and it's, it's neat to see how all of that interweaves itself to, to an experience or to a story. The experience of sharing a beer with someone is something that's like... It's, it's kind of old school and it's kind of cheesy, but like sharing a beer, like having a beer one-on-one with someone and having a conversation, whether it's a flighty thought or in-depth, like you were just saying. Same thing with wine or having a cocktail or whatever it is. Like alcohol being not in a, a substance that's abused, but using it as, a, as the bread in the bread-breaking scenario where you're sharing something, you're sharing a moment or time. Like that's, that's one of the big things that always was fun to me about wine is that you can get conflicting conflicting ideas together in people and you can sit down and have wine and you can focus on the wine and then grow that conversation into something different if you so choose or you may just completely dislike that person but you appreciate their perspective on the wine or whatever it is you're doing or drinking you know and uh, we all have those people that they're well you know I'd rather not talk to them but they're kind of the person I need to talk to about this and then by the time you walk away from it you're not thinking about the person that you didn't like that you didn't want to talk to you're thinking about the resolution you've gotten from yeah. and sometimes from that conversation good and sometimes buddies. yeah and sometimes the sometimes the beer or the wine or the bourbon 
or in my case, the tequila can help help facilitate that. Right on. I always love the phrase social lubricant. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, thanks so much for um, having this conversation with us. I learned so much. I, I have more questions, I guess, than uh, than I can think of. But where can people find you, or is there anything left that you may want to um, say? Well, I used to I used to write a blog called Beard and Barrel, but I have two kids and don't really have a lot of time to put a lot of effort into that uh but uh you can find me on a wine list at any one of my accounts <laughs> or instagram beard and barrel or instagram, instagram beard and barrel yeah i'm on untapped is there like an app for wine uh yes uh vivino uh okay. it's more of like a uh that's the only one I I used and am familiar with. Uh, I know there's a bunch of other ones, but it's it's kind of a rating system community, kind of like more like Rate Beer or Rate uh, yeah RateBeer.com. It's kind of like community driven. You can post a picture of it, where you had it, what um, how you thought it was, and rate it. Yeah. Um, there's like an overall rating probably. From, yeah. yeah, and there's also a my my seller tracker, which is where you can. Like, if you collect wine, you can punch your wine into that, and it's kind of like an online community where people can, like, rate it, or you can find ratings on stuff like that, too. So. Yeah. Judd, thanks again. This is fun. Of course, man. It's great. A lot of fun. Um, I think, do you have any v- verdicts on the brews? Oh, yeah. I mean, I always love I like to get all. down, but I like the IPA, man. I'm See? turning into an IPA. Welcome to the hazy cover. IPA. I like it. No, they were all great. The, uh, the Beach Within Reach, the, the Berliner Weiss, was surprisingly good it it wasn't a sour but it it had a good a good flavor to it that made me that made me happy much like the hazy ipa it made me feel special yeah (laughs) i'm losing my technical term but that's okay that's funny so i've just got to ask you because i love bourbon is there a particular go-to bourbon that you like jed old forester 86 oh yeah i can see that yeah that's good stuff fun fact old forester was the first bottled bourbon ever and it's one of the only is it is the only distillery that was operating before, during, and after prohibition. It had a license from the U.S. government to produce during prohibition for medicinal purposes. Nice medicinal. Throw that knowledge on us. Well, um, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast so you don't miss an episode. Follow us on the Instagrams. I like adding S's to things like Facebooks, WalMarts, Krogers. I have a friend that uh, refers to it as K. Rogers to make it sound like upscale. Oh, yeah. Like, almost, it sounds like a jewelry company, you know? Flatty Thoughts Podcast, Instagram. Yeah. Uh, please rate and review us so that others can join the conversation and leave a message in the link of the show's description. We hope you found this episode meaningful and that you find meaning in the mystery of your life. We'll see you soon.